Some people measure what is true in a variety of different ways. Probably the most recent way that our culture has measured truth is by the simple statement that everything is true. That takes you off the hook, doesn't it? Just say everything is true. It's called relativism. The problem with measuring truth that way is that it leads to personal hopelessness and cultural despair. And that's just where we are as a people. Because you see, when everything is true, it means nothing is true. There is no meaning to anything. Out of the ashes of the despair in our culture over that philosophy that everything is true, there is quickly arising another way to measure truth. It is asking the question, does this work? Does this philosophy, does this religion, does this idea work? Does it have some power, some ability to bring about change? Can it deal with human suffering? Will it give meaning to existence? Does it work? I believe the world is frantically looking for some idea, some religion, some theology, some truth that has power to it. In the past, truth has tended to be measured by its rationale. If you could reason it out, it would be true. But I believe now, in the 1990s, truth, at least in the Western civilization, is starting to be measured by its power. That's important for us to note. Because the evangelical church has historically sought to prove the truth of God and his self-revelation by arguments by rational evidence. The world is no longer impressed by that. Because of the relativism of the world, its response to our rationale is, well, that's true for you, it may not be true for me. If that's your belief, that's fine for you. Now, I believe, the world is looking for power. It wants to find something that works. And ladies and gentlemen, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only true, it works. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The Apostle Paul prays in Colossians chapter 1 that we believers might personally be strengthened by the reality of God's power that dwells in us. We come back to this text of Colossians 1 and to the end of the prayer that he offers on behalf of his readers. We pick it up in verse 11, where he says, "...being strengthened with all power." according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light.
For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul prays that we might be strengthened with the indwelling dynamic of God. He says that this will result as we increasingly come into a more intimate knowledge of God. As we are filled with God's will, as he says in verse 9. And then bear fruit and increase in the knowledge of God himself, in verse 10. And so my point this morning is this. Coming to know God intimately allows him to release his dynamic power in our lives. That power is there. It is when you and I come to know God more intimately and personally that he is free to release that power in our lives to glorify himself. There are two aspects of this power that he talks about that are laid before us in the text. He talks first about the design of God's power and then the demonstration of God's power. As he thinks about the design of God's power, he begins by pointing out its very nature to us. He uses a verb, strengthened, and the noun, power. They are both the same word, related to the word dunamis, that is the the noun. And if you were to spell that out with English letters, you would find that it's the beginning of our word dynamite. It refers to the dynamite, the dynamic, same idea, the dunamis of God, that is God's ability, God's strength, being strengthened with all dynamic, all dynamite, all dunamis from God. And notice he describes this with an adverb, all power. Do you remember in Ephesians 6, 18, he says, praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit? All prayer. We understand that to mean that we're to pray with all kinds of prayer. And when he talks about being strengthened with all power, what he's saying is that God has power for all kinds of needs. One commentator, Herbert Carson, wrote, For every requirement there is power available. That's his point. The nature of God's power is such that for every requirement you may have in your life, There is power available from God. Is it a need in your marriage? Is it a need in your parenting? Is it a need with some sin or temptation? Is it a need that you have with an emotion in your life that is consuming you? Is it a need with a relationship? He says that God has all power and we can be strengthened by it. And its release is not once for all, but it is a lifelong experience because he says being strengthened, and that's in the present tense, which means being constantly, continuously strengthened. It is a lifelong experience and process. 
this release of God's power in us. And notice the measure of God's power. He says, this is according to his glorious might. According to his glorious might. Let's suppose that you had a financial need. And you made the big mistake of coming to me to ask for help. And standing over here ten feet away is a man who is a a billionaire. I may be able to give you something out of what I have. But here is a man who can give far greater than I can toward your need if he desires to do that. I can give you according to what I have But think of what he can give you according to what he has. You see, the measure of the all power that is available to us is the glory of God. According to the power of his glory, his majesty, writes the Apostle Paul. So when we think of the design of God's power, remember that it is the dynamic of God that is constantly available to you. And there is no way to measure the limit of this power. It is according to His glorious power. I think that Paul has some specific demonstration of that power in mind. When he writes that phrase, turn back with me to Ephesians for a moment and look in chapter 1 where we find a very similar expression. Not identical, but similar. Here he is praying for the Ephesians. He prays that their eyes may be enlightened. Sounds like Colossians, doesn't it? That's why they're called the twin epistles. He prays that they may know. Know what? Well, while he said, know the will of God in Colossians, here he says, you may know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Notice again the power. The surpassing greatness of God's power toward us who believe. In accordance with the working of the strength of his might. A very similar phrase to what we're looking at in Colossians 1. And then he goes on to say, Which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And so the Apostle Paul gives us a picture of this power that is according to God's glory. And that picture is an empty tomb. And a Savior who is seated at the right hand of the Father. So great is God's power that he is able to reverse death. He is able to bring his son from the grave alive and to exalt him and seat him at his right hand in heaven. 
That is how great God's power is. And he says, for you and for me, that power is in you. And he says, I pray that you may be strengthened with that power of the resurrection of Jesus. Now, as we think again about the design of God's power, notice that he gives us the intent of this power. Back in Colossians chapter 1. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for or unto the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. He says that the intent of God's power in us is to give us endurance. And that endurance is pointed in two slightly different directions. The first word is the word steadfastness. Literally, it comes from a a word that means to remain under. To remain under. It means to remain underneath the pressure of your trials. He is talking about those experiences that come especially from God in our lives. The trials that God brings to us to grow us. And he says, I pray that you may be strengthened with this power that God has in your life so that you will learn how to abide up under the trials that come to you as aliens and strangers in this world. I want you to learn to endure those trials because God purposes them for good. The idea behind the word steadfastness is the opposite of cowardice, running away. Do you ever feel like David did? Oh, if I were just a bird, it can fly away to the mountain. If you could just get away from the pressure. Paul says, no, I want you to learn to be strengthened in the midst of it and to abide underneath it. To bear up under it by the power of God being released in your life. And then he uses the word patience. The word patient means to suffer long. It has the idea of distancing yourself from an angry response. The focus here is not on circumstances so much as it is on people. It's a whole lot easier to take circumstances than people, isn't it? I heard one pastor say one time, I would love ministry if it just weren't for people. And he smiled because that's what ministry is about. People. Here he prays that we may experience patience, that we may suffer long with people. The opposite of this idea is retaliation. Getting even. Taking vengeance. Getting back at somebody. And there are people who just flash through your mind, right, when you say that? Oh boy, those people. Paul says, I pray that you may find God's power released in your life so that you will know how to suffer long with nasty, mean, Inconsiderate people. 
I wish that he had said that the design of God's power was that it might be released in us and we could perform miracles. Don't you wish that? I pray that you may be strengthened with all power so that you can call down fire from heaven on those who are your enemies. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Oh, if that were the design of God's power. Or if God had said that his power in us was going to cause us to do signs and wonders. And there are people who think that unless you do signs and wonders or have some bizarre experience, you have not experienced the power of God. Listen, the design of God's power is not for signs and wonders and miracles in our lives. It is for transformation of our character. It would be appealing were it otherwise, but it's not. God wants to change us. And when he talks about steadfastness and patience, he picks at a, a couple of characteristics that all of us are still learning about in our lives, aren't we? He prays that we may know the power of God and understand what its design is in us. God wants to change us on the inside. Now the apostle concludes this opening to the epistle by talking about the demonstration of God's power. He begins by saying, joyfully giving thanks. As I pointed out last week, that's the last of the results of knowing God's will and knowing God personally. It is bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened, giving thanks. But as the apostle is thinking about this power of God by which we can be strengthened, he says, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. And he's going to tell us now how God's power has been demonstrated on our behalf. I'm going to take them a little out of order from what he names them here in order to make them chronological. And so I'm going to begin with verse 14, where he says, In whom, in Christ the Son, the beloved Son, we have redemption. God has demonstrated his power in that, number one, he has redeemed us. This word means the complete release of a slave. It means a prisoner of war for whom a price has been paid and now he can go back home and be free. God's power is so great that he is able to pay the redemption price. He doesn't name it here. He does in a parallel passage in Ephesians 1 and verse 7 where it says that is through the blood of Christ. The price demanded by God's justice for our sin and our rebellion was human death. 
Thank God that he, by his power, provided a substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf in his Son. So that we might not have to experience that death that we deserve. God demonstrated his power on Calvary's cross when he caused the weight and the guilt and the penalty of your sin and mine to be placed upon his beloved Son. And in the shedding of his blood, in his death, he provided for our debt payment, our ransom payment, so that we can be released and set free. He calls this redemption the forgiveness of sin. Literally, this word is the removal of sin. The word forgive means to send away, to send away, get rid of our sin. The psalmist in Psalm 103 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's forgiveness. So God's power is so great that, number one, he provided the redemption price so that we could have our sins removed from us. Number two, he delivered us from the domain of darkness. Sin's slavery from which we were redeemed entailed being dominated by what he calls here the domain of darkness. This word domain is a word that he uses elsewhere, and again it's back in Ephesians, the twin epistle, chapter 6 and verse 12. For he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the, what's the next word? Mine has powers. Against the world forces of this darkness. The word powers there is the very same word as domain in Colossians 1.13. For he delivered us from the powers of darkness. What is he talking about? Darkness is used in an ethical sense in the Bible. That which is sinful. That which is unclean. And certainly we have been delivered from ethical darkness. But I believe he is talking here also about spiritual darkness and about wicked spirits. He says, we have been delivered from their domination, from their power. Robert Gromacki, writing about this book of Colossians, says, This expression from the power of darkness points to the kingdom of Satan, which is marked by sin and moral darkness. The concept of darkness includes an opposition to the light as well as an absence of it. The unbeliever is not only without God in the world, he is also against God. This is a realm of moral rebellion, insubordination, and creaturely independence. And so this darkness is the realm of hostility toward God. It is the realm headed by Satan and his powers of darkness, which is insubordinate and rebellious against God. 
And he says that God's power is so great that he has delivered us from that power. The word delivered means to be rescued. He has rescued us by his divine intervention so that we are no longer a part of that domain. We're no longer under the thumb of the powers of darkness. Thank God. The third demonstration of his power. He transferred us to Christ's kingdom. The word transferred means to move from one place to another. How many of you have ever been transferred? Oh, you've had very stable lives. Nobody here has been transferred. To be transferred means to be colonized. It was a word used in the secular literature of that day of a colony of people that were taken from one place and moved to another. It means to be deported. And so it's saying here that God by his power has transferred us. He has moved us. Not to a new geographical location, but to a new spiritual position. He has placed us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. That is the rule of Jesus Christ. So no longer are we under the rule of the powers of darkness. We have been moved to a new spiritual position so that we are now in the kingdom or under the rule of the Son whom God loves, Jesus Christ. For 16 years, John Kovacs was among those who lived in the railroad tunnels in New York City. They call themselves sometimes the mole people because they live underground in darkness. Amtrak bought the tunnel in which John Kovacs lived. They prepared to reopen this track and the tunnel, forcing him out. It happened at a particular time when the city of New York had just begun a new program to help people like that who were homeless, to change the homeless into homesteaders. And so after spending 16 years of his life underground as a mole, he was transferred to a farm in Upper New York State where he became a farmer, an organic farmer. He was quoted as saying, the air will be better up there. I'm not going to miss anything. I'm not coming back. I want to tell you something. God has done something far greater than that for you and me. He has taken us out of the darkness. And he has given us new life. He has made us a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We don't want to go back. We have a city that we're heading toward, whose builder and maker is God. We are citizens now of the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ by the power of God. Fourthly, and finally, he has qualified us, it says, to share in the inheritance. 
Literally, he says that we have been authorized, we have been made sufficient, we have been named on the will, as, it's, as we might say it. So that we have a claim, we have a right to something. An inheritance it is not an inheritance we deserve, it is Christ's inheritance. And we have been placed in Christ, therefore we are qualified to share in the inheritance that all of the saints will enjoy in light. Notice again the, the contrast between the saints in light and the powers of darkness that once held us in bondage. He's drawing upon an, an allusion here probably of the Old Testament saints, the Israelites, who after they had conquered the land, divided it up, it became their inheritance. You and I do not have a, a piece of real estate as our inheritance. Our inheritance is one that is reserved in heaven for us. It is said to be incorruptible. It is unstained. It is said to be unfading. And it is kept safe for us in heaven. And so we are sharers of that eternal inheritance. No wonder that the Apostle gives thanks. What amazing work the power of God has accomplished on our behalf. Now he says, considering all that God has done for you, I pray that you may be strengthened with that same power. That power that is the, the power that raised Jesus from the dead, that exalted him to the right hand of the Father in heaven. I pray that you throughout your life may learn to have that power released in you so that you may be changed, made a new person. Have you experienced the dynamic of God in your life? The Apostle warns about those in the last days who will have a form of godliness, but who will deny the power of it. That is, there will be an exterior of godliness, a show, an outward form of religion, but no power. And you see, he's saying in that context, at least, that the power is the proof. The power is the test that is real. Have you experienced the dynamic of God in your life, this God who redeems this God who delivers, this God who transfers us, this God who qualifies us to be heirs of Christ. I'll tell you something. This is the truth that works. This is the truth the world is looking for. And we need to be busy helping them to see it. Are you growing in your intimacy with God? In your knowledge of God? So that you can experience this power released in your own life. To bear you up in life's circumstances so that you remain under them and don't run away. To strengthen you so that you don't retaliate against people who are hard to live with. 
Do you long for that power? Do you need that power? It's there. And Paul prays for you and he prays for me that we may be strengthened with it. In Philippians 3, he puts it this way, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed inwardly to his death. If, in fact, this is the power of the resurrection we're talking about, resurrection implies death. To experience this resurrection power in our lives, there also has to be death. And I want to suggest to you this morning that that death is death to ourself. And one reason that we may not be experiencing God's power, if we're not, is that self is on the throne and not Christ. We cannot live to please ourselves and experience the power of God being released in us. Who's on the throne of your life? Self or Christ? Are you experiencing God's dynamic at work within you? One dry cleaner who also did dyeing of fabrics had a quaint little sign outside his shop. It said, we die, D-Y-E, we die to live. And we live to die. Just change the word die, apply it to self, and I think we have a principle here for God's power being released in us as believers. We must die to live. And living, die to self. As long as we argue and put self on the throne, as long as we resist God, as long as we are insisting on our own way, God's power will be there, but it will not be released. How tragic. When we have God's power that we can experience and know, that can change us, make us new people, Somebody asked George Mueller one day the cause, the secret of his fruitfulness. And he said, there came a day when George Mueller died, utterly died. No longer did his own desire, preferences, and tastes come first. He knew that from then on, Christ must be all in all. Before we can know resurrection power, we have to die. And when we die, that power will be released in us. And throughout our lives, we can begin to experience the depths of it that are according to the, the glory of, of God and His power. Let's pray together. The Spirit of God is the one who brings to us this power. We need him to fill and control our lives. Are you willing to die to yourself, to be broken of selfish habits, to put to an end self-centeredness, to confess the sin of self 
realization, self-actualization, and see self as on the cross. You know, it's when we come to that point of desperation, we come to die. That God's resurrection power can be manifested. There are some of you hungry for power in your lives. God's power, this is the way. This is how you do it. This is how you experience it. Being made conformed to his death. Lord Jesus, you know where each of us needs to die to self. Self is on the throne. Self reigns. And consequently, your power within us is restrained. Oh, I pray that each of us may truly be willing to die to self be conformed to Christ's death that we may then experience the power of his resurrection in this pilgrimage that we're on in the world. O Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us, I pray. Work new in our lives. Bring revival. In Jesus' name, would you stand with me, please, and let's sing this chorus.